From Washington, VOA presents Issues in the News. Hello and welcome to Issues in the News. I'm Kim Lewis and joining me on the panel this week are VOA White House correspondent Anita Powell, who is joining us from the UN General Assembly in New York, and VOA executive producer Steve Reddish. Welcome, Anita and Steve. Thank you. Thanks for having us again. Well, here are the issues. In his address to the UN General Assembly, President Biden called out Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine as the Russian president significantly escalated war efforts and threatened nuclear retaliation. The president also announced new support for countries facing food shortages caused in part by the war. Biden also spoke on replenishing the global fund to fight AIDS and other pandemics, tackling supply chain issues and the climate crisis. Russian President Vladimir Putin had previously announced an immediate partial mobilization of 300,000 reservists and threatened to deploy nuclear weapons in the war against Ukraine. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said his Ukrainian counterparts tell him the mass graves discovered in Izium, Ukraine, after Russian forces were pushed out, are in some ways worse than those discovered in Bucha in April. U.N. diplomats have voiced disappointment over the failure of the United Nations Security Council to respond to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, calling for reforms that would allow the U.N. to better defend global peace and order. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres said the climate change and other ills have created, quote, colossal global dysfunction, unquote, with global warming and out-of-control emissions high on the list. New York's attorney general is suing former President Trump and his three adult children, alleging business fraud. Attorney General Letitia James' office has been leading a years-long investigation into whether the former president's company misled investors and tax authorities by inflating property values to get investments and subsequently deflating them to get tax and loan benefits. Well, those are the issues, and let's get started. Anita, you're joining us from the United Nations General. General Assembly in New York. Before we get into our topics, first of all, what is the mood like on the ground there? Well, it's quite the contrast. I just came from London from the Queen's funeral, and here I am at the UN at this vision of a world where everybody has a say. It's not ruled by some, you know, divinely appointed monarch. And so there is a sense of cooperative governance at the UN that there was not in London, but at the same time, The UN is in some ways a decorative tone setting organization. They don't have taxation power. They don't have the power to compel countries to do one thing or another. They can condemn countries, but they can't actually force them to do very much. So there's a sense, I think, of hope and of mission here at the UN. It's not clear to me how much can actually be achieved at this particular short meeting of leaders. It's just a few days. Well, what have been some of the highlights of the speeches and appearances? As you know, I've been following President Biden the whole time. And so, of course, my short answer is President Biden's 29-minute speech. It's not an exaggeration to say that of those 29 minutes, he spent about 28 and a half minutes talking about Russia and essentially building a very forceful legal case and also a moral case, but mostly a legal case against Vladimir Putin. What he's trying to do is he's trying to agitate the General Assembly to act. And he was pointing out that Russia has violated the UN Charter by trying to invade a neighboring country. That's 
a no-no at the UN. You don't invade your neighbors. That's not cool. And so he's building this case and setting the tone and setting the scene for what it looks like is that the White House here is building sort of the case that will strengthen Ukraine's hand when it is finally time for the parties to sit down at the negotiating table. Because I think we realize that no war is worth this loss of human life. So this has to end at the negotiating table or it will not end. You mentioned that the UN doesn't have that kind of taxation or that kind of force that will compel countries to do something. The only way the UN really gets involved is through the Security Council. And Russia, as a permanent member of the Security Council, has vetoed a resolution earlier coming out against its actions against Ukraine. And so there's very little that the United Nations can do except for raising the voices and raising the alarm as far as what is happening in Ukraine. While it's great to have this forum to air these issues, most of the leaders, when they're going and and making their speeches, are condemning what Russia has done. However, there's very little that this organization can do to force Russia into some sort of compliance. And it was Putin's raising just a few hours before Biden spoke, raising the stakes as far as the world is concerned in Ukraine by announcing a call-up of reservists, several hundred thousand reservists, and making this veiled threat of using nuclear weapons, which then set off a whole other set of conversations. The European Commission, a foreign minister's meeting, to try and decide how they're going to respond to Russia's escalation. And so what we have is a lot of people talking and very little action happening at the United Nations. The president also announced new support for countries facing food shortages caused in part by the war. Since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, exports of food and fertilizer from the region have been disrupted, pushing post-pandemic food prices even higher. And the World Food Program says some 828 million people go to bed hungry every night. So how do the leaders intend on tackling this problem? I'll let you know when they figured it out, Kim. Stay tuned. This is a huge challenge, and this is central to kind of the UN's core mission because they are at the end of the day, a human rights-centered organization. And it's rare for me to say that I agree with some things he said, but this is one thing that he did say that I agree with. He said, if parents can't feed their kids, nothing else matters. As a parent, as a former child myself, I tend to agree with that sentiment. And I think it is important that the UN is seized with that. As for what they can do, they can foster conversation. They can remind members, like President Biden did, that there's no prohibition on Russia's export of food and fertilizer. They are still very much allowed to do that. The sanctions do not affect their ability to send these essential things to other countries. So this is a work in progress. This requires a lot of workarounds, as we've seen with the Turkish ships sailing through the port of Odessa to get Ukrainian grain out. It's a logistics issue that they can deal with at the UN, and it's something that they are dealing with, but it's a constant problem. I will say that the United Nations did broker that deal that allowed the Turkish ships and other ships to leave the port of Odessa to bring the Ukrainian grain to other countries. Whether or not that will continue is really going to be up to Russia, whether Russia will continue to allow these ships to go through the Black Sea 
and to be able to get this food to the rest of the world, which is dependent on it. Also, Steve, you brought up Putin's aggression over Ukraine with the announcement of the addition of 300,000 reservists and this threat to use nuclear weapons against Ukraine. Some members of the UN say this was Putin's attempt to deliberately dominate the assembly. Do you all see Putin as overshadowing this year's assembly? He certainly is directing some of the conversation and the actions of Russia is the kind of overall theme of this general assembly. What Putin has also done with his call up of 300,000 reservists is he's triggered protests in his own country. 1,300 people are said to be detained across Russia in anti-war protests. And he's also created a brain drain of sorts in that direct flights from Russia to countries that don't require visas are said to be sold out for the next few days and getting more expensive as those who are affected by this call up of reserves of 300,000 reservists are getting a little bit antsy that they're going to go to the Ukrainian front and have to fight in a war that they thought they had already served their time in the Russian army. Finland says some 4,000 Russians came across the border in the hours after Putin's announcement. There are issues within Russia about Putin's decision to ratchet up the pressure on Ukraine and to call up all of these reservists. Well, it's time now for a quick break. And when we return, UN diplomats are calling for reforms for the UN Security Council to allow the UN to better defend global peace and order. And we'll have more highlights from the United Nations General Assembly. Issues in the News is coming to you from the Voice of America in Washington. If you would like to download the program, it's free on iTunes. Just click on the iTunes tab on our website at voaafrica.com. While you're there, check out our other programs, Press Conference USA and Encounter. Also visit us on Facebook and leave a comment or two. Then like us at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. Now back to our panel via Skype. VOA White House correspondent Anita Powell and VOA executive producer Steve Reddish. The news organization CNBC reported on their website that more than 440 bodies, including those of civilians and children, had been found in Izium, Ukraine. Police also found another mass grave with the bodies of 17 Ukrainian soldiers. So how has the international community responded to these latest discoveries? Well, there's only one way to respond to reports this disturbing, which is to say, you know, what is proven to be true, it deserves condemnation, further investigation and accountability, which is what we've heard so far. But we're still learning details about this. Zelensky, in his recorded speech to the UN General Assembly, made a point to point out this discovery of the mass grade in Izium. He described one man who was found castrated before he was killed. These human rights violations by Russia is forcing a UN Security Council meeting over this and what the Security Council might be doing. That said, Russia is on the Security Council, so it doesn't look like there's much that can be done, although for all of the members of the Security Council to come in and discuss and raise is taking this conversation and elevating it a little bit. 
But Zelensky called out Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism and urged world leaders to get up and state where they stand on the war and criticize those who proclaim neutrality. Yes, the UN Security Council is composed of five permanent members with veto rights, China, France, Russia, the U.S., and the U.K., and then 10 non-permanent members elected by the United Nations General Assembly. UN diplomats in New York at this assembly, some of them are asking if this organization is fit for its purpose with Russia's assaults on Ukraine. Are they saying how or when they will make any reforms? Oh, I want to draw your attention to something that came up in Biden's speech, which is the first time that an American president has expressed support for UN Security Council reform. He was really vague. So afterwards, we spoke to a senior administration official who kind of sketched out what the U.S. is thinking. For example, they're thinking that Germany, India and Japan do deserve a spot as permanent members. And the president did call openly for an African or Caribbean country to be a permanent member on the Security Council, which the countries who are involved, who are possible members, have been agitating for this for years and saying that they need a voice on the Security Council. The problem is, and this is the fundamental problem with the Security Council, is that any move to change, any proposal can be easily vetoed by any permanent member. And there are two permanent members that are not especially inclined towards this reform, and they are Russia and they are China. And so the U.S. can talk about this all they want, but if it comes down to a vote, the way the Security Council is right now, this is unlikely to proceed. So this is a conversation I suspect we will be having again and again for years until there's finally some sort of breakthrough. And it's a conversation that has been had for years and years prior to this with many Latin American countries, South American countries, as well as countries in Africa saying, hey, what about us? Why can't one of our nations be a member, a permanent member of the Security Council? There are millions and millions and millions of people who are going unrepresented on the Security Council. So this is a question that's going to come up year after year after year until something happens at the United Nations. Also, U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres said that climate change and other ills have created a colossal global dysfunction. How important is this issue at the U.N. General Assembly this year? This was supposed to be climate week. Climate in all of the planning for the General Assembly, that climate and climate change was supposed to take center stage especially during this first week of the General Assembly. And what have we been talking about mostly on this show? We've been talking about Russia and Ukraine. So once again, the climate issue, while affecting everybody on the planet, is being kind of subsumed by the larger war, the war crimes, the threat of nuclear weapons, the threat of a larger war that Putin is raising. So climate is kind of scratching for attention here at the UNGA. There's something that came up during the bilateral between the UN Secretary General and President Biden. And I am sorry that I keep yammering on about President Biden, but just to be clear, I was following President Biden. So that was the focus of my attention. But I thought it was interesting that the president raised that we're now seeing a turn of tide in terms of people who systematically denied the existence of climate change. That era seems to be slipping away, is his theory. And people are finally accepting, yeah, this is actually a thing. Oh, this is a problem. So it's a small but important shift that people 
in the view of both the UN Secretary General and the President of the United States, that institutions and governments are finally saying, oh, yeah, this is a thing. This is a problem. We need to deal with it. It's incremental, as is so much at the UN. And also, the president spoke on the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, that he was going to replenish this. What does he mean? He means $6 billion, which is a lot. Now, compared to what some of the other developed nations offered, that's six times what they offered. Like Japan offered $1 billion, Germany offered $1.3 billion euro, France offered 1.6 billion euros, but also the U.S. is a financial heavyweight. So the U.S. is punching very much at its weight here by committing $6 billion towards this fund, which works on communicable diseases that are still very much a problem in so much of the world. This works on diseases like tuberculosis, which is a huge killer. Malaria, which is endemic in West Africa, for example. And of course, HIV, which I just want to be clear, very much not over, still a problem, still infecting people all around the world, especially young women, especially members of marginalized communities like LGBT communities, especially in countries that do not recognize their rights or their existence. And so this is the continuing problem. And the U.S. did put in the most funds of any developed country. It can be seen as kind of a down payment on the future because we've seen in the past how the HIV epidemic ravaged communities here in the United States and elsewhere and continues to do so. We saw what COVID did over the last couple of years to the United States economy and the world economy. And by spending $6 billion, as Anita said, is a lot of money. But in comparison to everything else the United States spends on is not a big amount of money and putting a down payment on trying to hedge against future pandemics, future incidences where diseases just ravage a population. And also, I wanted to take a look at another topic to switch gears and to mention that New York's attorney general is suing former President Trump and his three children alleging business fraud. Attorney General Letitia James's office has been leading a years-long investigation into whether the former president's company misled investors and tax authorities by inflating property values to get investments and subsequently deflating them to get tax and loan benefits. Trump's attorney, Elena Haba, said the filing is neither focused on the facts nor the law. Rather, it is solely focused on advancing the attorney general's political agenda. So have you heard any reactions so far to this latest lawsuit against Trump? I'm in New York, which is Trump's former hometown. I was talking to some New Yorkers yesterday and just asking them what they think about the walls closing around the former president, who's, you know, a well-known New Yorker, but now rather famously a Floridian. There's not a lot of love lost. There's not a lot of sympathy for the guy in New York. Big surprise. So, you know, the reaction at the UN was muted because they have bigger fish to fry and they certainly wouldn't want the mess, the drama of a former leader to take over these important issues like climate change, like global disease control, things like that. So the sense in New York is there's not a lot of love lost. There's not a lot of surprise. I think what's more significant, just shifting gears, turning to another page in the encyclopedia that is Donald Trump's legal woes, is the ruling that came out of Florida, where a three-judge panel ruled against Donald Trump. And these are judges that he has appointed, who ruled against Donald Trump's demand or request or whatever we want to call it, to not have all of these classified documents given over to the Justice Department. I think that's actually more significant 
But as I said, I think New Yorkers are largely unimpressed by everything. They were completely unimpressed, incidentally, as the presidential motorcade was driving the wrong way down Lexington Avenue, not once, but twice. And so New Yorkers seem to be unfazed by basically anything that happens. So they're maybe not a good gauge of like what sentiment is in America as a whole. What happened in New York, as far as the New York Attorney General and her lawsuit against the Trump organization and Trump himself and his children, along with the appeals court ruling that came later in the day, it was two losses, legal losses for Trump. As Anita says, it seems like the walls are kind of moving, inching closer and closer on him and his children as far as accountability is concerned. It's still yet to be seen how the lawsuit will move forward, as well as the case regarding the documents is concerned. But one of the things that I came away with is it's especially the lawsuit goes to something that Trump himself is very proud of is is he's a billionaire. He's worth all of this money. He's so successful. And what this lawsuit does is it takes that down and, and accuses Trump of lying and fraudulently stating how much more he may be worth in order to get more satisfactory loans as well as reduce taxes. What it says is he may not be as rich as he says he is. For Donald Trump, that is something that perhaps is even more damning than losing an election. Yes, and we will have to see what the next few months hold for the former president. Well, it's time to find out what is weighing on the minds of our panelists. And Anita, we'll start with you. So I want to rewind the news to the big news that was covering the zone not 72 hours ago, which is Queen Elizabeth's death. And just look at the future here, because I think once she was buried at Windsor, the news organizations stopped covering basically her death and the story was considered finished. And I just want to say that I don't think that it is finished. We now have a new king who has oversight over 56 Commonwealth countries, which is a loose, soft power association of countries with an affinity for the English language and English culture and their place in the broad scheme of English culture and British culture. I think what we've learned in the last 10 years in the U.S. is that the world order is on very delicate foundations. Things can change very quickly. And I think what we're looking at here is a possible seismic shift to see if the new king can helm these countries through and keep them on side and keep them from falling prey to influence from malign actors. And I think this is going to be an emerging issue. I would like us to keep our eyes on it and not just look at this phenomenon of the queen's death as You know, she was, of course, a beloved figure and a grandmother and a mother and a great grandmother, I believe. You know, I I want us to just take a pause and look at this as an important historical event that could incite other events going forward. And I want us not to take our eyes off of that. Very good. And Steve? Fall is here. Summer in the Northern Hemisphere is over. And it's an even year. And in even years, that means we're closer and closer to elections. And even though Election Day is November 8th, the first votes in early voting will be cast this weekend. So the election is on here in the United States. 
and it's an exciting time. The sprint to the finish is going to be one of these midterm elections to be remembered because so much is swirling around American politics from President Biden's popularity to Donald Trump's popularity and his legal troubles to election deniers who are running for office all throughout the country. I'm both excited and a little bit wary of where this is going to wind up, but this is going to be an American historic election and it starts this weekend. And I want to thank you both for ending the show on these very interesting thoughts. My thanks go to our panelists, VOA White House correspondent Anita Powell and VOA executive producer Steve Reddish. I'm Kim Lewis, and thanks for joining us for Issues in the News.